I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Roger, welcome. Another week, another episode of uh, Cybercrimes. I know. Glad to be here in our, you know, in our second year. I know. I know. It's it's crazy how fast everything goes by, and um, we'll get into a time warp in a second. But to start, Roger, I guess you know, quickly before we do get into our topics for today, I want to ask you, how are things going with Anna Jones of Xerox? I saw you guys were uh, messaging a little bit, so just wanted to ask you how th- how things are going. For those of you who don't know, in particular, I frequently get reached out to by fake identities and romance scams, business scams, Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff. And Anna Jones, claiming to be a HR assistant from Xerox, contacted me. By the way, I will say that anytime a beautiful young woman contacts me on LinkedIn to say how much they <laughs> like me or whatever, I'm immediately suspicious, immediately think that they're a Russian spy if you want to actually be a Russian spy and try to compromise me, it needs to be a fat, ugly woman. I just want to share that with you. I'm not somebody that is attractive young females, but Anna Jones could actually be a real person at Xerox and I could be slandering her. But like most synthetic identities, it was somebody that had joined in the last day, had no connections, had a super beautiful flirty picture. And then she claimed to be, she's an HR assistant. So let me say HR, great field to be in, you know, lots of people do HR, but she also claimed to have a master's in computer security to be a full stack developer. You know, you could just kind of tell that this person was just pulling stuff in. If you have a master's in computer science and you are a full stack developer, you're probably not an HR assistant, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you've probably been on the internets longer than a day. And this person reached out to me, it was just kind of flirty, like I'm open to new things, whatever you want to do. I'm a good time girl, something like that. <laughs> and so I, you know, being bored, I just responded. And I think I responded saying, I like hiking, watching sunsets and long walks on the beach. Because that's just, you know, that, that's kind of like the stereotypical, you know, romance response right. if you're trying to, you know, oh, this person sounds great. And I posted it to LinkedIn. And then what I love about our community is people said, do you like pina coladas and oh, dancing yeah. in the rain? And I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to start responding to her using only music lyrics. So that's what I've done. <laughs> Every time Anna Jones, quote unquote, Anna Jones asked me a question or whatever. And by the way, she's in love with me already. It's amazing how quickly the love comes. Oh, I bet she is. She is definitely trying to get me to uh, off LinkedIn to a private chat. I bet she does. But I think it's hilarious because I just put these just corny, corny lyrics in there, which are obviously, I think even the Nigerian scammer that's probably behind this has to recognize that I'm using rock lyrics. But what I love about them is they don't care. They're in it. Yeah. You know, they're like, hey, for the, the for the chances could be a payday, they're in it to win it. But yeah, these synthetic identities, these fake identities have just been a huge problem, been a huge problem on LinkedIn, especially for the, this year. Brian Krebs has done some remarkable articles and research on it, literally, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of these fake identities. And they oftentimes are, you know, someone asked me, well, why do you think they're trying to scam? I think in this case, it's a romance scam type thing. Mm. But a lot of these synthetic identities are actually picking up fake jobs. 
So they're literally applying oh, for right. jobs. They have these fantastic resumes. And many times they actually are using the names of real people. Like they're claiming to be a CISO of Xerox or something like that. A lot of these people have gotten jobs. And then only after they've been given the job, does the company or the person they're working with realize that they're not the person they interviewed. They're like, yeah, for some reason, this job candidate can no longer answer the simple questions we gave them during the job interview. It's kind of a weird world where you have to be careful. And it's funny, if you're someone that's looking for a job, there's fake employers out there trying to rob you blind. And then if you're an employer, there's fake employees trying to rob you blind. And then there's romance scams trying to rob us all. So it's a, certainly a dangerous world out there. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And if there's a super beautiful, model-perfect, attractive woman that reaches out to me, just know right at the first three seconds, I'm thinking Russian scam bot or Nigerian print scam or something like that. So if you want to trick me, you've got to go uglier, fatter, <laughs> and meaner. And then maybe I might believe you. <laughs> oh, it is a wild world out there. We should have told her beachcombing. That was what my romance scammer just really loves, beachcombing. Um, <laughs> it's definitely something people do on the regular. <laughs> like who wouldn't like hikes, you know, and beachcombing? Yeah, who yeah. wouldn't do that? You know, you know, who wouldn't love that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at least I was on the coast. If I was like landlocked and they're telling me all about beachcombing, I'd just be like, cool, cool for you. But anyway. Or the other way, you could say, I'm sorry, I'm allergic to sand. Like everything they, they push out there that they're romantic with, you know, like I like taking walks. Is this some type of cruel joke? I don't have legs and I'm in a wheelchair or something, you know, like I, I would just respond trying to just shut down whatever their romance, their typical romance line and watch them pivot and see what they come up with. Maybe that'd be my next scam back to the scam. Yeah, that's a good idea. That'd be funny. So, you know, you mentioned the world being a crazy place. It's wild out there. Somehow, as I mentioned earlier, due to some kind of time warp, we find ourselves again back in the holiday season. I don't know how, I don't know where time goes, but with holiday shopping, of course, comes holiday scams. And I know that No Before put out a great blog post about this, but Roger, what are we looking at in terms of the threat landscape out there this year targeting consumers for, you know, who are trying to conduct their holiday shopping? Yeah, first, phishing scams are up just in general, right? I think every article I read is it's up 8,000% more than it was last year. We're seeing scams come across not only in emails, but certainly in text messaging and voice calls, even you know in-person scams. But for the holiday scams, holidays are always a big deal. And Stu, our CEO, wrote an article talking about the top five scams they're seeing, which are number one, e-gift card scams, number two, charity scams, number three, some demographic targeting scams, which mean to particular you know demographic groups, subscription renewals. Well, you need to renew your subscription for a magazine you either don't have or a service that you don't have or need or crypto scams. One of my friends got hit by a subscription renewal scam. And this is a common one. You'll be surfing. In this case, he was on his phone and he was you know, going to some website he goes to every day. And all of a sudden, his phone told him that they had detected a couple of viruses and he needed to buy Norden or Semantic or something like that. And he goes, and I already had a subscription, I already had a year subscription, and they wanted me to renew, you know, for like two or three years. And, you know, what's weird about these, a lot of those renewal scams, subscription renewal scams, is that they actually are selling you legitimate product. Like it used to be if you had a fake malware, and it, most a lot of fake malware will be, hey, you have a virus on your computer, and then they actually install malware on your computer in the process of convincing you that they're going to get rid of the malware. But these renewal scams are things can be 
where they're actually selling you real Semantic and Norden subscriptions. They're very, very popular. But when you go to buy them, you can see it's actually giving you the real subscription. You're getting a real license key. It's just that you either don't need the product or you already have an existing subscription they're saying that has expired. But it's interesting because I think Norden and Semantic, it's got to be a huge portion percentage of their sales are these fake subscription renewals to people that either don't need it, number one, or number two, their current subscription hasn't expired. But it's kind of interesting to me because they're not pushing malware. They're actually pushing the real product. They're just lying to you and saying that you either need it or that your current subscription has expired and you need to renew. It's got to be interesting. I'm sure that those companies don't want these scams going on, but it also is sending them millions of dollars of additional revenue of licenses they wouldn't otherwise sell. And so like many things in the cybersecurity world, there is a perverse incentive, I think, for Semantic McAfee or whoever. There's this perverse incentive to maybe not aggressively shut it down. <laughs> you know, Like if we shut this down, we're going to lose millions of dollars in revenue that we'd otherwise get. It's a tough world. I would say that happens a lot in the computer security world with a lot of these phishing scams and stuff. The perverse incentives sometimes make the involved vendors probably just a little bit less likely to shut them down as quickly as they might otherwise. And when you see these sort of things, until you are somehow able to change the incentives so that the penalty for not shutting these things down is far higher than allowing it to run, you know, they sometimes continue on. That happened years ago where like Intuit or TurboTax, some internal employees in Intuit and stuff said, hey, we know who the scammers are. We know who the people are using our software to file fake tax returns. They're filing hundreds and hundreds of fake tax returns and they're getting all the money sent to one PO box and stuff. He's like, we can identify it, but because they're paying 40 or $85 a license for TurboTax to file the tax, it seems like we're not shutting it down. And that actually, Brian Krebs wrote about it. And then it turned into where the law enforcement or Congress looked into it and said, hey, you know, you're going to have to pay bigger penalties if you don't get rid of these people that are doing the taxpayer scams. And finally into it, TurboTax finally shut it down. And, you know, they kind of, oh, you know, those claims made by the internal employees, you know, they were never true in the first place. It took changing the infrastructure to do it. E-gift card scams, those to me are the hardest because like, hey, click here and give us your name or fill out these 10 fields and we'll send you a $100 gift card. Well, there really are people that will offer you, you know, e-gift cards. The problem is, is, you know, there's so many of them that are just scams or they're asking you for personal, like, tell us what your email address is, your birthday, your favorite vet, you know, your favorite, like literally you can see that the e-gift card is asking them for their password reset question. And people will put them in and then, you know, they get their accounts stolen. So it's, you know, charities, the same thing. Charity scams are tough. And what I'd say is for the charity scams is, you know, anytime you're going to donate to a charity, I would say always go to the legitimate website to donate. And then also, you know, if it's a charity that you're unfamiliar with, look it up and, you know, there's charity sites that there's charity evaluation services and sites that will tell you, is it really a good charity and how much of the money, if it is a real charity, actually goes to the cause they claim. Those are the things. And just in general, what I tell people, just all these scams, no matter how they arrive, if there's a message coming to you that's unexpected, so whether it's a call or in person or an email or a text message, social media message, whatever, if it comes to you unexpectedly and it's asking you to do something that you've never done for the requester, before. So you may have been told to 
you know, log into an account to verify something by someone, but just not this particular person. So anytime you get a message that is unexpected, asking you to do something you've never done before for that requester for the first time, just realize that that request is far more likely to be a scam than another message that you were expecting or wasn't asking you to do something new for the first time. And, you know, you need to research it before you do it. You need to teach yourself, your family, your loved ones, your coworkers, everybody. Anytime you get a message with those two traits, arrives unexpectedly, asking you to do something new for that request for the first time, do not do the action that they're requesting until you confirm it some other way. That's the way you put down all of these scams, whether it's the holiday scam or voting scams or, you know, whatever scam it might be, is to look for those two traits and teach yourself to slow down when you see those two traits. Excellent. I can see the subscription scam, subscription renewal being problematic too, just because we all have so many different subscriptions now and they all start at different times, unless you're just like on auto pay every month until infinity and perpetuity, you know, whatever. But I can see how that would get tricky because I don't remember when I started anything anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I actually keep a spreadsheet called magazine subscriptions or subscriptions where I put in the dates and the amount. Oh, that's a good idea. What's interesting is if you look at legitimate magazines or clubs you belong to, they will attempt the legitimate services that have no harm or ill will towards you make it very difficult. I think it's a scam. I wish it was outlawed, but they literally make it very difficult to know when your subscription expires. It used to be mm. the expiration date would always be in the front of your magazine, mailing label. There's an organization I belong to that I've belonged to for 10 years. I probably get asked to renew my subscription, if not every day, several times a week. Like it's just one of the most abusive organizations. I noticed when they sent me my annual renewal card, it's one of those that sends you like the real plastic card or whatever, very old school that they took off the expiration date that had been on the previous cards because they don't want me to be able to pull out the plastic card and be able to go, oh. So I actually track all my legitimate subscriptions in a spreadsheet, maybe that's very anal, but I will tell you what's great about it is I also track the prices I paid for the last couple of years and I'm able to like Rolling Stones magazine, I'll pay 19.95 for the year. And then when they're getting me to do the legitimate renewal, they'll tell me, Oh, uh, it's uh, $79.95. And I'm able to go, nope, it's $19.95 and I'm not going to pay anymore. Same thing with SiriusXM. I'm literally, because of that spreadsheet, able to keep on top of it. So that's what I would tell people is you need to make a spreadsheet or a list. And let me say, certainly our parents and grandparents are being abused. I've found so many older people that have had subscriptions for like 27 years because the legitimate organizations just wait a couple of months and send a renewal notice. And then every three or four months they're sending the renewal notice and the old person's like, Oh, I need to renew, you know? And to me, it's elderly abuse. Totally. I have fantasized about somehow getting Congress to pass an act that says that you must have to put the current expiration date anytime you're asking for a subscription renewal, like just that simple piece. So people can see do I really need to update it or not? But they don't because it's a scam so they can get people to pay and get years of subscriptions that they really don't need. And that's the legitimate people. <laughs> yeah. Everybody makes it so hard out there. Well, you mentioned Intuit and TurboTax, and although I didn't see them as a part of this next story, that's a nice 
segue into the final topic for us, which is The Verge published an article last week about how tax filing websites have been sending users financial information to Facebook. And the services that they listed were Tax Act, Tax Slayer, and H&R Block. There may have been more, but those were the bigger players that I saw. So Roger, can you tell us more about this? I guess whether it's surprising or not, I'm putting on my cynical hat here, but then how it's considered ethical that this information is sent to Facebook and what Facebook does with this information. Yeah. So I, I got to tell you, it was shocking to me to read this story. And the story claims basically that you have these services like Tax Act, Tax Slayer, H&R Block. H&R Block, to be honest with you, is the only one that I recognize that are using this Facebook service to file your taxes. And as part of filing those taxes, there's this QR code created. And what's quick QR stand for? Quick response code or something like that? Well, it looks like a barcode. If you've seen the QR codes, I think everybody, that's the way the world works these days, these little square codes. All they are is really encoded information. These days, most QR codes are probably just encoded URLs, right? They'll say, here, take your phone and scan this QR code and it will take you to this website or to a menu, right? When you want to get a menu. These days, it's tough to get a paper menu at a restaurant. Well, all a QR code is encoded text, numbers, or symbols. Like you could be encoding Japanese or Chinese characters or something. But really, yeah, that's all it is. It's a barcode that's encoding information that they could otherwise display to you. But instead of having to say, type in this really long URL, you can just scan the QR code and then your phone and just click and it takes you to it. Well, in this particular situation with Facebook, Tax Act, Tax Slayer, H&R Block were working through this service offered by Facebook to submit people's taxes. And Facebook was submitting that information the way that this service worked is that it submitted the taxpayer information, some limited amounts. It was the name, it was the taxpayer ID, it was the amount of their income and stuff like that in a QR code. So I don't know, I don't know Facebook's intent. I don't know if Facebook meant to collect the information, but basically this Facebook service that these tax programs are using have to submit the person's taxes using this QR code, which I'm sure somebody at Facebook thought was a really great way to submit this information. Well, it turns out that Facebook, because, because it, it's just, it's not encrypted information most of the time. 99, what's interesting, you could encrypt the information that's in the QR code. You could have a public-private key reading process that even though there's information in the QR code, it's encrypted. But most of the time, the QR code stuff is plain text and not encrypted at all. And so Facebook is getting this QR information, which I, I don't know their intent, but it kind of feels like to me that a, a developer went, hey, there's a great way to submit the information, a QR code, and people can't read the information. And then Facebook is collecting, they get the QR codes, and then someone realized that you're sending this information in plain text to Facebook. And then uh, apparently Facebook is then harvesting that information on behalf of the taxpayer. And this particular article on The Verge you know, it's like, hey, that means Facebook has your tax information. And it, it, it again, it was like name, taxpayer ID, income, how much you got to pay in taxes or something. And it's shocking in one way. I mean, and again, it's intent. Was it just poorly designed? Is it expected? Did the users participating in the services know that their information was being transmitted in plain text to Facebook? Probably, I'm going to guess, and I'm just guessing, in the end user license agreement, 
it said somewhere that we have to transmit your information to third parties and you give us permission to do so. So I bet they're not breaking any laws, but I bet it wasn't outright. The taxpayers that were using the services, I don't think they were told, by the way, we're going to share your summary tax information with Facebook and Facebook has the legal ability to keep it. You know, and let me say, I don't know what Facebook is doing with that information. Are they now like, I know Roger Grimes, you know, makes this much money a year. And that means he might be interested in buying a boat or a grill, you know, or something like that. I don't know, but I will say that my overall feeling is, and again, I don't know the ethics of what they're doing. I don't know if this was an unintended thing or was it intentional? You know, did Facebook go, man, we're going to be able to harvest people's tax information. I almost don't feel like that is something any company would want to take on these days, especially Facebook, because they're in front of, you know, Meta and other companies and Twitter in front of Congress all the time. I don't think they would intentionally collect this information and harvest it, but you know, you don't know. And I would say the bigger issue is just realize anytime you're using any online service that, you know, especially when you're submitting confidential information, that that information can be shared with people that you either do or don't know about, and you may not be able to get that information back. This isn't like in Europe with the GDPR where you go, I want that information back. And probably another thing is just realize if it's online, you can lose access to that information altogether. Like it could be that a service takes your information and then they go out of business or you don't pay your money to them or whatever. And they're like, okay, cool. We got your information and you can't get it back at all. So those are the two things I would just say is, you know, just realize online world cloud services, that is not your information. It's their information or it is your information, but it's also their information, you know, and when the product's free, you're the product, right? That you are. I don't know, you know, for targeting advertising, what have you, if they are using that data for anything, but the targeted ads that I get on Instagram are just wild, you know, like very infrequently do they pertain to me. So I don't know if I'm just an enigma <laughs> for the uh, team at Instagram, whoever's running the advertising or what. Sometimes I just get a whole ad for buying an Hermes Birkin, which is like a $30,000 bag, which in no world can I afford. But then also on the flip side of that, I'll get ads for authentic reproduction wooden geisha sandals. And I'm just like, who do you think that I am? (laughs) I don't know who you think that I don't understand. Or like bro stuff, I'll get ads for that kind of, I don't know. If they are using it, for me, they're not doing a good job, but it is a weird story that I'm glad that you helped us better understand. Talking about the ad stuff, I was was telling my wife about this. The other day, I bought her some pajamas on a site that had been advertised on Facebook or Twitter, I don't know, but they had advertised some kind of sexy pajama thing, you know, like some teddy or something like that. But I went and I went, oh, it was a silk pajama. And I went and I found some very tasteful, luxurious pajama set. So I went out of my way to get her something very normal. (laughs) <laughs> well, of course, I'm getting nothing but sexual uh, oh, clothing yeah. uh, adware yes. in my feed now yep. on my work computer. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, is my work's computer content filtering picking this up? And now they're going to think I'm watching porn on the work computer. And I'm like, I want to click on the ad to tell them, the person, put me on your unsubscription list or something like that. Right, but yeah. I don't dare click on the image. <laughs> So right, right, it continues right. on. That's so funny. And, the, you know, and then my wife comes over and she's like, what are you buying that you're getting <laughs> this sort of uh, S&M wear? 
I'm like, a lot I, of different I, stuff, I, honey. I, I, it, it, as far as I can tell, it started from me buying you silk pajamas that you love. <laughs> so I think it's kind of wild in that you get these targeted advertising that's really strange. And then you're like, okay, where did this come from? What did I click yeah. on or what did I see or yeah. do that? It's even hard for me to buy Christmas for my wife these days because mm. I want to buy her something nice, but she's using my old laptop. It kind of gets our ads together. And I can like, oh, oh honey, are you looking at grills for me? <laughs> because all of a sudden grills are popping up on my feed. My wife's like, ah, you know, so like how do you buy your spouse something when the targeted ads are kind of letting them know yeah. what you're looking at? Yeah, that's so frustrating. Well, Roger... As always, such a pleasure to speak with you. I really enjoyed our conversation and these topics that we were able to cover today. So thank you. And I'm looking forward to next week. Thank you so much. I'm going to go look to see if I can buy something for Anna Jones of Xerox, something that she'll like. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I'm just bringing our conversation full circle. So uh, thanks a lot for bringing all those topics up. <laughs> no problem. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. <laughs>